Okay, don't everybody leave just yet. You're in for a real treat. Let me have our panelists come up and occupy these chairs, please, as they come up. We've got uh, Stephen Granda, the, uh, the uh, bastion at the State House for Kansas Public Radio. We have Bob Beatty, who's the chair of the political science department here at Washburn University. And we have Celia Yopis-Jepson, who's also a reporter for the Kansas News Service, who specializes in covering education and health care. And so, guys, as I'm approaching you, Bob, let me start with you. Or actually, let's start with the whole group. Uh, you all were listening to the governor this evening. Did she say anything that, uh, that stood out to you or surprised you in any way? Anybody? Starting with me? You, you can start, Stephen. You're the hand So this here. is something we've kind of heard her talk about before, but she really hit it tonight. She called it triage in her budget, focusing on specific areas in the budget. So, you know, I've talked to her before, and she wouldn't even go as far as saying she wants to restore the cuts to higher education. So if you're someone who is looking at an agency in state government or a service in state government that you really want to see some funding this year, I would say don't get your hopes up unless it's one of those areas she talked about tonight because it's not clear that we're going to see wide uh, increases in funding. And I think when she calls it a triage in her budget, that really tells us that uh, she's going to be focusing on some specific areas and uh, not everything is going to see restoration of funding this year. Yeah, so she's going to be very cautious, I think, when it comes to spending money for the next couple of years. See you? Yeah, I think what stood out to me was what she actually used the word legacy when she talked about, you know, her, le her potential legacy. She talked about early childhood education. And if you think that all, just resolving the school finance lawsuit is going to be huge work still, even though what's, what's left on the plate in the school finance lawsuit is a small slice compared to what was there you still then have to think about keeping that funding plan in place over the next several years. But she's talking about something um, much more aggressive beyond that, which is much broader access to early childhood education. And there are, there are you know, Oklahoma next, next door has um, universal pre-kindergarten. So it's, it's interesting to hear her say that that's, you know, what yeah, she you heard so her say that as somebody who covers education, you have some sense of what that would take. How, what did, what did you hear when she said that in terms of what you think she wants to actually uh, create? I think not something, something very different from say Oklahoma. What she's talking about is public-private um, partnerships to make that happen, right. which some school districts are relying on. But that's going to raise a lot of equity questions because not every school district is going to have the same access to building the types of partnerships that, I mean, I think we need to see the details of, okay, how do you actually build on scale with equal access major um, early childhood education programs? Mm -hmm. Okay, Bob? Well, I've been studying Kansas governors since 1960. I'm not that old. <laughs> it hasn't been since 1960. You did a bit I've, of a look back. I've been studying yeah, right. Kansas governors who've been governors since 1960. And uh, what struck me was, was uh, Laura Kelly when she was asked about in, uh, Dan Hawkins, a legislator who gave uh -huh. a little bit right. of a biting comment. And if you watched her, she said, oh, I know Dan. And that's more the norm of what Kansas governors have been. Sure, we've had a Bill Graves, but and we've had a, a Joan Finney, but we also had a lot of governors, including Governor Collier, but, but even Governor Parkinson, who were in the legislature. So you don't get that immediate, you know, sort of the, the, their backs up. Um, and that made Governor Brownback very unusual. And uh, I pointed this out when he was first elected. Folks, this is very unusual for Kansans to bring somebody down from Washington, D.C., 
who really made his career. This was a guy who ran for president. And no offense, but he wanted to be president, not governor of Kansas. The, the tradition for, for Kansas governors was, was to come up uh, through the ranks, and that governorship was really the apex of, of, of really the career. And so Governor Sebelius was unusual in that way, and that she saw beyond that a bit uh, eventually. But that, I was struck by that, because it's going back to more of a norm for Kansas, where you can ask a question, and the governor can say, oh, I know Fred, I know right, Senator right. Smith. And that, that's going back to maybe what may be a, a more congenial politics in the state. When I saw her, saw her backstage, I was asking her how she was spending her days since the election, it just kind of one budget meeting after another. Uh, diving deep into state agencies, and she kind of got this twinkle in her eye, and she goes, but you, you know I like that. I mean, uh, <laughs> hour after hour after hour. So uh, that's what she's been up to. Uh, Bob, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, because I think this is going to be interesting for the, for the group, the, the folks here. You told me about this uh, yesterday. You've been digging into an exit poll that was done after the election that tells us a, a little bit more about what happened and why. What's, what are the top lines? Tell us a little bit about that election, uh, that exit poll. So it's a, a voter survey done by Fox News, AP, and the uh, University of Chicago Consortium. And uh, f almost 4,000 people were, were surveyed who voted. And what's it's really interesting, th this is still a, re a Republican state, of course. 54% who turned out for this r recent election, voted in the governor election, were, were Republicans. But uh, only 11% were independents. But ideologically, 43% were self-identified uh, conservatives. And what that means is that 57% weren't, and 33% um, moderate. And so, you know, who, who turned out for this election? Geographically, 55% urban, suburban. And these were not a lot of first-time voters. Only 3% were first-time voters. But it was the biggest turnout for a midterm election right. in Kansas history, did you say? In, for a midterm, okay. yes. And, and so what's interesting is these, this wasn't a wave of new voters, of first-time voters. Uh, and this is also goes against that idea of, oh, Kansas is this super far-right Republican state. This, again, goes back to what Kansas was more known for, which was more of this what... Governor-elect Kelly is talking about compromise, getting things done. That's what the electorate that showed up for this election seemed to be sort of interested in. So based on what you saw in those survey results, what, what mandate can we say that voters gave both Governor Kelly and the legislature? Is, is there one? Well, let me, let me tell you one interesting yeah. statistic. So again, this, this wasn't a, a, a huge number of voters saying, hey, we don't like the Republican Party, hey, right. we don't like Republicans, we're Republican, again, 54%. But in terms of, of governor like Kelly, th this, uh, this electorate doesn't like the Democratic Party. Only 34% had a favorable opinion of, of the Democratic the party. party, but she had a favorable opinion of almost 20 points higher than that. So what these, these voters are willing to say, you know what, we don't really care, we're not upset that she's a Democrat. She's our Democrat, meaning she's a Kansas Democrat, and they're willing to give her a chance. Uh, and so that's her mandate. Her mandate is, if, if this, this should not be a Republican Democrat next four years, this is not what the people wanted when they came out and voted. So the mandate, could it be said that the mandate is to Kelly and the legislature, 
stop these ideological fights that, but, that, that, that keep anything from getting done in Topeka and just do your jobs and work together? Is that, can, is that a fair summary, maybe? Oh, I, I think that's very fair. This isn't an electorate, again, that's abandoning a particular party, but they are abandoning what the politics of the last few years, which, again, have just been very controversial and contentious in my way or the highway in some cases, and this electorate uh, is m much more interested in, I think, getting something done. And I should say, Jim, that there's a lot of surprises in this voter analysis. So the questions that came out in, in tonight asked, about, for example, climate change. I think everybody will be shocked to know that in an electorate that was 54% Republican, 67% of all the voters are concerned about climate change. Uh, that's one example. Marijuana use in an electorate that was 54% Republican, 62% want to legalize marijuana. So this is not your grandfather's Kansas uh, that came out uh, in, this, in this election. And finally, you know, there was one question in this survey that asked about Sam Brownback, and the question was, what is the assessment, what's your assessment of the Brownback tax policies for Kansas, good thing or a bad thing? And just think about these numbers, 77% said it was a bad thing in a Republican state. So to me, Jim, that tells me they're done with that and they want to move on to compromise and more congeniality. So Governor Kelly has a chance to govern in a bipartisan fashion as she said she has wanted to do and, and it'll be up to the Republican leadership in the legislature to decide how much, how cooperative they want right. to be, and that's what we, and, and Celia, that takes us back to the school finance question, because you and I have talked about this, Speaker Reichman, Majority Leader Denning, and you, you've talked to others since then. Uh, what is your sense of, the governor wants to take care of that pretty quickly, uh, doesn't want to re reopen uh, the funding formula, wants to provide the $90 million and get on down the road. How likely is that going, do you think, uh, based on who you've been talking to? How likely it will happen smoothly? Or yeah. how likely everything will be blown up? <laughs> take your pick. Um, okay, so, I mean, yeah, there were news reports that um, leadership are interested in starting over, but I guess, you know, it raises the question for me of what does starting over really mean? Because over the past five or six years, you know, I've watched court ruling after court ruling after court ruling really pin the legislature against the wall. And we've seen, you know, special sessions and um, the, the decades-old school finance formula blown up and then block grants and then a new formula. And it's all been, um, from the point of view of some people, traumatic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I do think people um, on both sides are, are kind of sick of the cycle. And when you reopen, the idea of, like, starting over again this session, um, it just opens so much so much fighting because there, there are so many types of school districts in this state and as soon as everything is on the table again, you have districts with declining enrollment and districts with you know, a lot of um, say ELL learners. Each district is different and so then this opens a lot of anxiety where they're all gonna be, you know, it's gonna be an avalanche of phone calls. What's gonna happen to this one particular item that's really important to us? There's so much that goes into writing a school finance formula that it makes me wonder like, isn't it more likely that they'll just tweak it? I mean, over the decades, that is mostly how mm -hmm. changes have happened in Kansas. And I don't want to make too much of this uh, survey that Bob has been telling us about, but it would seem just based on uh, the, the high-level takeaways from that that Kansas voters really would like to see this go away too, get it settled after all this time. 
uh, fund schools get on down the road in this lawsuit that's been, that's been with us for in one form or another for decades? Yeah, I, I do think they want to see it done. I mean, what's funny about the school finance lawsuit is you often hear the same thing like from people on both sides, right? Right. So people who want more money in schools say, I'm sick of the school finance lawsuit, put more money <laughs> yeah. in. And people who are, are, don't want to add more money to schools say, we're sick of, of you know, the school finance lawsuit. Can't, isn't there another way to stop this? But to, because you mentioned the poll again, I wonder if I can like, backtrack just a little bit and ask... Um, of course you can. A, ask you, because you, were t you two were discussing the mandate. You know, what is the governor's mandate? Okay. Yeah. And... Um, and you know, my question is kind of like, well, does she have a mandate at all? Because she won with less than a majority of, of voters. Kelly, so vote, I yeah. wonder, you know, what the what impact that has for her as she governs, and you know, is she vulnerable politically because most she didn't have most of the vote? As we know, there was a third party or a third non-party candidate. <laughs> right, independent. Mm -hmm. Bob? Yeah, what's interesting is that uh, the vote totals for. Uh, Laura Kelly and then um, Paul Davis kept going up until you know, for several weeks after the election. She almost thought she might get to 50%. Uh, but you know, just to, to repeat that, if you look at this survey, uh, moderate, you know, the moderates really showed up, 33%, only 10% below conservatives. And then you have, of course, uh, self-described liberals, which are 24%. It sure looks like a mandate to to chart that center path. And she talked about it tonight. She, she said a moderate majority. And she's, she, she's counting uh, noses. And again, this is somebody who knows a lot of these people. And uh, she's, you know, I got the sense from, as you said, the twinkle in her eye, that she had a sense where what she can get done with some of these, uh, a lot of these moderates, and maybe even a few of the uh, conservatives as well. So I think she thinks she has a mandate. Now, we should be clear that, for example, when presidents win by, you know, or don't win, like in, in Bush's case, uh, they still have a mandate. So she's, I, I would argue that uh, she certainly can come out and say she has a mandate. Hey, Stephen, we, we had a conversation with the governor-elect about the budget and the revenues. And I know you've been looking into that in terms of the consensus revenue. And you talked about, uh, as we, when we came up here, you talked about uh, don't look for any, you know, a long list of big spending initiatives from her. She's going to she's going to triage things and set priorities and kind of take them as they uh, as they come once we understand better where what our revenue situation is. But you know, what do the numbers look like? We've got nine hundred million dollars coming in this year above estimates, so a lot of money at least the current year. Yeah, if you look at the ending balance, and for those of you who don't know, the ending balance is effectively our savings account. It's how much the state has at the end of the fiscal year. And in the, recent years, we haven't had any. Yes, or like. 80 bucks or something. But anyway, uh, so the most recent estimate, which was just updated, is that we will have $900 million in the bank at the end of the fiscal year. So you might think we're sitting pretty and it's going to be an easy legislative session. But for all the reasons we just talked about, I don't really see it that way. Uh, and I keep wanting to say Senator Kelly, Governor-elect Kelly was talking about growing tax collections in the coming years. But this latest revenue estimate actually says tax collections are going to grow a little more than the revenue estimators suspect. They're actually going to fall a tiny bit in the following couple fiscal years. So that's part of the reason why when we look down the road, unless we make some spending changes, uh, we could be seeing a deficit again. So it's really hard to go into this legislative session thinking you can spend a lot of money on these big resources, even though we have $900 million in the bank. It would be really easy to go down the rabbit hole and get really geeky about this, but I, I do think it's Which important. is exactly what I want to do, so well. we're extending this 
to 10 p.m. Yeah. I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, you talk about the $900 million we're going to have above projections this year for the ending balance, and part of that's because we're still taking money out of the KDOT budget, and in future years, if you make the assumption that you're going to allow the money that should be flowing into the State Department of Transportation to, to resume flowing into it, that has an impact then on, in those Definitely. Years. We, yeah. we call it the bank of KDOT. That's what people around the legislature call it, is taking that money from the highway fund. So the way that we get into the red in a couple of years, one of the ways, is by actually keeping that money going to the highways. So that's one of the things you have to do, is when you talk about wanting to fund transportation, do you stop taking that money from the highway fund to balance the budget. If you don't do that, if you say, okay, all that money that's coming from sales taxes is gonna stay paying for roads. Well, you can pay for a heck of a lot of roads, but you might not be able to pay for everything else unless you make some major changes elsewhere. So that's why you know, we look at $600 million of unfinished T-Works projects, wanting to have another long-term transportation plan, and the problem is you can't do that with the numbers we have now unless you really make some changes or maybe look at a gap gas tax or something, and, and Governor-elect Kelly and said at least once tonight, she made it clear that revenue growth will not be from new taxes. So I don't think she's going to be throwing out the idea necessarily of a gas tax. Uh, so those types of things, you know, if we're going to fund roads with those types of ideas, they're probably not going to be coming from her. Yeah, task force is preparing recommendations for what comes next in terms of a highway program, and they're talking about a potential recommendation for a gas tax or maybe even a fee on electric vehicles, but she probably won't be out on front. But many legislators are involved in the task force. We'll have to see how that turns out. So, But bottom line from each of you before we close here uh, is based on the survey results, based on what you heard Governor-elect Kelly say tonight, and based on the, our interactions with her over the years as she's worked in the Senate, um, what are you expecting in terms of how this will shake out in terms of her ability to work with Republican majorities in the House and Senate, controlled by the more conservative faction in the caucus? How's that going to work out? Is she going to get uh, most of what she wants, do you think? Every year, I wish I had bought a cot for my office because at the end of the legislative session, we get down to these late night votes, everything falls apart, and it becomes a nightmare scenario. And I actually am expecting that again. Right. We have such big issues to tackle, and we look at all this money we have in the bank and think we're going to be okay. I'm not sure if we are going to be. I actually, while we were waiting for this to start, I was on Amazon looking at camping cots. They're like $35 to $45, and I'm thinking of just ordering one now, so I'm ready at the end of the session for those all-nighters. That's the reason I ask that question, because you hear a lot of people say that there's going to, there are going to be skirmishes all along the way, and at the end there's going to be some sort of a quote-unquote grand bargain that everything breaks loose uh, in terms of Medicaid expansion, money for schools, et cetera. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but it does seem the dynamics of the session do seem to be setting up to make that a possibility. You know, go, go ahead. it occurs to me, wasn't it 2015 and 2017 that we had the record long sessions and they were both equally long? Yes. Now and maybe Stephen so. Maybe it it's just no going to be a regular every other year. Now will be the <laughs> will be that length. Like now we're 2019. We'll, we'll see. Get I that cut. I have no. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> Anyone would like to get me a Christmas gift, a camping cot would be a great idea, I think, for my office. <laughs> well, I would guess the atmosphere is going to be quite a bit different. Think back to 2010, and, the, and essentially what you had was um, not Democrats and Republicans 
going after each other tooth and nail. It was conservative Republicans right. trying to destroy moderate Republicans. And also, listen, we listened to some of her answers tonight. It wasn't, darn it, we're gonna, I'm going to do this, it's going to get passed. She said, I'm going to bring together groups of stakeholders right. from different parties, you know, in certain cases, police, nurses, doctors, on all these issues. Then we're going to find a plan that works, maybe in a Republican state, and present it to the people of Kansas. My question is, if, is Republicans, are they going to be tone deaf to this? Because this approach sounds like is what the people want in this state, which is where she's not saying, and Democrats want this, it's we're putting together coalitions of majorities. And if that's the case, it seems like she could get some things done. Okay. I'm right. really interested to see, especially on the Medicaid issue, though. Mm -hmm. She's talked about working yep. with people, but Jim and I had an interview with her uh, several weeks ago, and I said, you know, do you want a Medicaid expansion bill that the leadership in the chambers will approve of, because they are not in favor of Medicaid expansion? And she basically said, you know, if we have to go around the leadership, I'm willing to do that. So on some of the big issues, like that have been kind of bottled up, I think she may be willing to take kind of a different tack. Well, and she's got some, you know, John Carlin did that years ago, a Democratic governor. He just said, I'll go right to the people, and polls have shown vast support for Medicaid expansion. So she's got that in a bag of tricks as well, but that, that's where we may have a fight, you're right. Well, at the very least, what we know from the election and what we know from all of you who followed along with the My Fellow Kansans saga is that we do have a new governor and we have a new governor who wants to take the state in a different direction than it's been headed on for the past eight years. And this story will write itself over the next 90 days or so, and it'll be very interesting to watch it along the way. We, we very much appreciate uh, all of you who were fans of the podcast and who turned out tonight uh, to help make this, uh, I think, uh, a really informative session with our new governor. So thank you very much for turning out. And yeah, thanks uh, for coming. And we'll be keeping you up to date, the Kansas News Service on Kansas Public Radio, KCUR, KMUW in Wichita, High Plains Public Radio in Garden City. Uh, you can hear our reports on any and all of those stations. So again, thank you.